welcome to the Talking Research in Children's Social Care podcast, bringing you the latest on evidence-based practice to improve outcomes for children, young people and families. In each episode, we'll be discussing new research and what this means for practitioners and the families they work with. We'll be hearing from researchers, participants, senior leaders and social workers. If you'd like to get involved, please get in touch. The details are in the show notes. Hello, I'm Namal Jude, Head of Practice Development at What Works for Children's Social Care. We're an independent charity whose mission is to improve outcomes for children and families with a social worker. We're doing this by creating and collating better evidence to understand what interventions work, for whom and under what circumstances. I'm also a registered social worker. In this series, we'll be discussing some of the key reports we contributed to in the recent independent review of children's social care. In each episode, we will look at a different report highlighting the findings and consider the implications and next steps. Today, we're talking about our research study into residential care in England. It is widely recognised in England that the outcomes for children in residential care tend to be poor. However, far less is known about who these children are and what their experience of the care system is. Our report aimed to improve the current understanding of this. Later, I'll be speaking to Lisa Pascoe, Deputy Director of Regulation and Social Care Policy at Ofsted, about our research and Ofsted's own findings on this topic. But first, I'm joined today by Eve Smith, a quantitative research associate at What Works for Children's Social Care and one of the report's lead researchers. Hi, Eve. Hi, Namal. It's great to be here and discuss the research with you today. I worked on this report alongside some others at What Works and it's exciting to have the chance to tell you more about it. Fantastic. So let's just dig right in then, Eve. Could you kind of tell us a little bit about why it was important to carry out this research into residential care in England? Yep. So as you mentioned, there are quite established findings that children who experience residential care have poorer outcomes than children in other types of care placements or children who haven't been in care. But it's simplistic to just take this to mean that residential care must be causing poorer outcomes. Mm. So we felt it was important to produce research that would shine a light on who the children are, their demographics and their vulnerabilities, and outline some of their experiences in the care system including some of the negative experiences that they might have before they even enter Mm -hmm. residential care. Lots of research so far has lumped many different types of residential care together, so children's homes, secure units, independent accommodation, and our research just looks at children's homes that are subject to children's homes regulations. So this is what I'm going to be referring to when I talk about residential care for the rest of the podcast. Mm And we did this because we felt it was important to go into detail on one type of placement rather than try and talk about too many really Mm. distinct types of placements at the same time. Also, lots of the research so far has been qualitative and using the data set that we did, we could look at all children in the country who have experienced residential care, which allowed us to build a big national picture and understanding. And it helped us get a better picture of who the children are and map their journeys a bit more clearly. That's interesting to hear, Eve, that you separated the research out like that and were able to look specifically at children's homes. 
like with that in mind, could you give us a brief overview of how you actually conducted the research? Of course. So we used the Children Looked After dataset, which contains local authorities' annual returns. So all the administrative data regarding children in care in that local authority per year. And from this, we were able to create a population of children who were living in residential care in 2019-20 and a cohort of children who turned 18 in 2019-20 and had ever experienced residential care. We were also able to link this data to the school census, which allowed us to obtain more information about the children. And from all this data, we created descriptive statistics about the children's demographics, care journeys and outcomes, and ran some further analysis, which allowed us to look at the factors that might be associated with entering residential care among this population of children. Right, okay. So um, you mentioned that the research was trying to establish who the children in residential care are and I'm guessing there were some kind of interesting findings. So what um, age do children seem to enter residential care? Yes, yeah, so I'll talk about first what time they, around what age they enter care for the first time. So on average, children with, resident, with experience of residential care first entered the care system at around age 11 and a half years old, which is later than the average of the wider care population, which is around just under 10 years old. And then children were on average 13 and a half when they entered residential care for the first time. So this means that there's an average duration of over two years between these children entering care and entering residential care for the first time. So interesting. Did the findings show if they required any specialist care or have any particular needs? Yes, our research illustrated that this group of children have very high levels of need. So of the children that we could match to the school's data, we found that 92% had been assessed as having a special educational need at some point, compared to 73% of the whole care population, showing that although levels of need are high across the population of children in care, children living in residential care specifically are a particularly vulnerable group. The most common type of special educational need that children were reported to have was social, emotional and mental health difficulties, with over half of children living in residential care being assessed as having this at some point. I'd also like to note that 15% of children living in residential care were in care due to a disability or illness, compared to just 3% of the wider care population, which again illustrates that children living in residential care have particularly high levels of need and require specialist care. Mm, Some really interesting kind of stats there when you hear it um, in the way that you've laid it out there. Are there any other kind of interesting findings from the evaluation about who these children are? Yes. So when we ran the analysis to predict which factors might be associated with entering residential care out of the population of children in care, girls were significantly less likely than boys to be placed into residential care. Also, compared to white children, Asian and black children were significantly less likely to be placed into residential care. And on that ethnicity finding, we then looked into the proportion of children belonging to each ethnic group who had experienced different placement types, which revealed that black children are overrepresented among children who have ever experienced a placement within a youth offenders institution or a placement that we grouped as other residential, which is largely constituted by unregulated children's homes, whereas white children were underrepresented within these groups. 
and we recommend that more research should be conducted to fully understand why these disparities are occurring and how we can ensure that all children are placed in appropriate settings. Such a relevant um, bit of data that to look and zoom in more on that, that's I was going to say it's quite shocking, yeah. but um, maybe maybe it's not shocking. <laughs> maybe maybe we kind of knew some of this already, but you know, having the kind of data to understand and and to kind of think more about, we need to understand more about um, what the kind of factors here. So, did the findings establish what the journey into residential care was for these children? Yep, so we found that instability is a key feature of the journeys through care for children with experience of residential care. So as I said earlier, we established that children have on average around two years between entering care and their first residential care placement. And we found that within this time, on average, children had more than two placements. The most common was a foster placement and the second most common was a kinship placement. So this is in line with other research and policy indicating that foster and kinship placements are the preferred choice and suggests that residential care tends to be used as a last resort once they break down. So you've mentioned many of the children have already experienced a few placements before they get to their first residential care placement. Do we have an idea of how many placements a child in residential care might go through? Yes, so we found that in total throughout their whole care journey, children with experience of residential care had 6.7 placements on average, compared to three placements for children with experience of any type of care placement. And the types of placements that children tended to experience after their first residential care placements were further residential care placements, or placements in independent living arrangements or unregulated children's homes. So that's almost seven placements across their care journey, highlighting just how much instability features during their childhood. So after they've been through all of that, do we have anything around the educational outcomes for the children that were studied in, uh, you know, in residential care? We do. And in fact, the educational outcomes for children with experience of residential care were particularly stark. In key stage four of all the children that we could link to the educational data, they missed an average of 13% of school sessions due to unauthorised absences and 31% had a fixed term exclusion, showing that this group of children don't experience a very stable education. With regards to their attainment, only 7% achieved an attainment 8 score of at least 30, which is the national average for children with special educational needs, compared to 33% of the wider care population. And just 1% of children with experience of residential care obtained the national average attainment 8 score. Yeah, again, you know, as you said, some very stark figures there. I just wonder, you know, were there, what about other outcomes How about other outcomes? So notable outcomes during their time in care were that 61% had been recorded to be missing from their placement at some point, was when they were aged 14 to 17, and 24% had at least one conviction while in care. When they were aged 18, over half of the sample were not in education, employment or training. And now poor outcomes for children living in residential care is quite an established finding. However, our results shone a light on just how different the outcomes are among the population of children who experience residential care 
and showed that this is not a homogenous group. So we found that two groups of children with experience of residential care had particularly poor outcomes on almost every measure. The first was children who entered care aged 10 or younger and went on to experience residential care at some point during their teenage years. And the second was children who entered care at some point between being aged 11 or 15. Both groups were found to have particularly unstable care journeys, especially relative to their time spent in care compared to other children with experience of residential care. And our results cannot determine which factors drive poor outcomes for children who have lived in residential care, but we think it's important to consider their outcomes in light of their high levels of need and experience of instability to understand how they can be better supported. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there's limitations to to most kind of bits of research. And, you know, could you just kind of talk to us a little bit about some of the limitations around the findings in this report? Yes. So there are a few limitations that are outlined in the report, but I'll focus on a couple that I think need to be borne in mind when interpreting these findings. The first is that our research is not causal. So in no way are these findings saying that there are causal differences between children with experience of residential care compared to those without, or that residential care causes certain outcomes. It's just describing the children's characteristics, journeys and outcomes. Right, right. Okay, that's a good distinction to make. Yes. And the second is that using large data sets like the one we did means that inevitably you can't hear all of the stories and experiences of each individual child. It's good in creating a large national picture, but the individual voices risk getting lost in this bigger picture. And mm-hmm. that's something that our research can't speak to. Sure. Yeah, that's that's relevant and, and kind of understood, and but very good um, to kind of lay out and name. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So... What are the next steps for research? Yes, so we recommend a wide range of further research in the report from how to improve the placement matching system to try to reduce instability, interventions to improve educational outcomes, as well as research that needs to understand the disparities and characteristics of children in residential care compared to other placements. At What Works for Children's Social Care at the moment, we are going to be evaluating the Staying Close programme which is a version of staying put for children in residential care to provide support for the process of leaving care for these children. Wow. Well, um, although the the kind of figures were kind of quite stark, I think, you know, it seems to be a really kind of important bit of research that you've been involved in, Eve. So thank you so much for joining us um, today and kind of laying it out in the way that you have. No worries, Namal. It was great to tell you more about the research and get your thoughts on it. I'm also delighted to have Lisa Pascoe, Deputy Director for Regulation and Social Care Policy at Ofsted, joining us on the podcast. Great to meet you, Lisa, and thanks for talking to us today. Thanks for inviting me. So first off, Lisa, could you tell us a little bit about Ofsted's role in residential care? So we're the regulator of children's homes. So in practice, that means that providers have to register with us before they can operate 
We inspect them using our social care common inspection framework that's underpinned by the quality standards from the DfE and the regulations. We receive and review notifications and reports about quality from children's homes and use those to inform our risk assessment. And we also have a whole range of enforcement powers that we can use if children's homes are not meeting the standards or they're placing children at risk. Wow. So, you know, lots and very, very, very different um, avenues there. So kind of with all that in mind, what do you think of the findings from our report? into residential care and and you know what do you think the findings mean for the sector and any policies particularly so i i just think it's really important we understand the role that residential care has to play in meeting children's mm. needs i think too many times children's homes are characterized as a last resort for children mm. and i think that comes out in the what works research And we need to view the sector positively, be really clear about what it can offer for children, which children, where, what works, what the workforce looks like, etc. So I think the more insights we've got, the, the better for children, really, and for the workforce that supports those children. I suppose from an Ofsted perspective, the numbers of homes continues to grow year on year. Yet, we also hear in our inspections of local authorities that local authorities are struggling to find the right places for children in the right place. So it doesn't sort of all add together. Um, you know, and I genuinely, I really don't believe that local authorities set out to make poor decisions. But it really worries me that some of our most vulnerable children, such as those being deprived of their liberty, are not in provision that's designed to meet their needs and in some cases unregistered. So there's this sort of mismatch between the sector and children that that we really need to solve. And I think the best way to do that is the more analysis and insights we've got, the better place we'll be to do that. Mm, it's really interesting, like hear you talk about, you know, the landscape through like your kind of line of vision, really, um, and all the kind of different moving parts and the different values, I suppose, that um, we need for um, placing children in, in residential care and, and, and their needs. So thinking about what you've just said, I, I kind of thought about, you know, how do our findings fit um, with some of your own research? So maybe kind of yeah. expanding a little bit on what you've just said. So we've published a few things over the last couple of years, certainly over the last two. And I just think our work complements each other, actually. So we've published some analysis about the education of children living in children's homes. There's a piece of work on short breaks. But I think the two most recent pieces particularly are really pertinent and certainly overlap with some of the What Work Centre work. So looking at why children go into children's homes and also what types of needs do children's homes offer care for? Obviously, as Ofsted, we've got sort of unique access to some information mm-hmm. that, you know, is not so readily available elsewhere. And I think particularly those last two pieces really start to get underneath the things that we really need to understand more. So certainly our findings around breakdowns and instability complement those of the What Work Centre. We also found that for many children, residential care wasn't the intended plan. But despite that, we mostly found in the sample that homes were doing a good job and actually children actually were reasonably well matched. Mm. Um, I know that what Work Centre research talks about outcomes. I just think it's really hard to talk about outcomes and the link to residential care 
when children's lives have often been so unstable with so many moves. So when you look at your data on instability and we similarly, you know, have commented on similar issues, it's really hard to pin it down to which children's home or, or, you know, who are we saying did the best job and who are we saying, you know, contributed the most to where children are at when we know children's outcomes aren't always what we want them to be. You know, I think research just reminds us far too many children, too many children, there are just too many moves. And I think there's a big piece for us about what can we do collectively to give children that stability. It, it just becomes a bit of a vicious circle in that, you know, once a child's, you know, been in a few residential placements, new providers feel less able to take that child because they're worried that they yeah. won't be able to meet their needs. So you sort of get into this really difficult yeah. place. And I just think there's a bit more that we need to understand about providers' abilities to stick with children um, and the support that local authorities wrap around children to keep that stability in place. Mm. Definitely in a, an area that I think is worth us understanding better. It's really interesting listening to you because something that when you were talking there made me sort of think about, you know, the tapestry of evidence that is emerging across lots of different organisations and, and how we need to kind of build on that more and more year on year, but also coming through quite passionately I think and I've always thought about this myself is the workforce the residential Absolutely. care workforce and and what we need to do with that and then particularly what you just said about you know the capacity and the kind of stickability if you like from the residential sector so what are your kind of hopes or you know what do you think the next steps could be for these findings and any kind of additional research maybe so for me We've seen the sector change significantly over time. It Mm. continues to grow, not evenly distributed across the country. The pattern of who owns uh, homes has changed. There's more larger providers now than we've had in the past. But, you know, and we've said this a lot publicly, Ofsted can only regulate at the individual provider level. We really need to use the information that we've got to think long and hard about what the size and the shape of the sector should be. Mm. Um, and really understand who the children are that we should help and get that wider view at a national level about a full needs analysis that supports joined up commissioning for me across mental health, justice, care, etc. alongside a join up across government Mm. until we really understand the pattern of children's needs. How can we plan properly? So at the minute we continue to get, I was in a call this morning, you know, new applications of flooding into Ofsted to open children's homes. But are, are they the right ones in the right place, offering the right types of services? Mm. Are they what local authorities need? So for me, using the analysis that we've got to better inform that planning has got to be good for children. And the other bit for me is the workforce. I am really passionate about the workforce. So, you, you know, media scrutiny and, and Twitter chat so easily focuses, doesn't it, on the things that have gone wrong and rarely, if ever, talks about the many successes. Mm. We really need to value this workforce. There are such dedicated staff out there that build relationships and make a real difference in children's lives. But mm. until we understand the children better, how can we make sure that it's the right workforce that we've equipped in the right way? So for me, alongside that, national needs analysis and planning there's something about a workforce strategy Mm. that needs urgent attention and and actually also a workforce that needs our care and attention too Mm. 
because you know I really strongly believe that to do the best for children you need to support the people who are doing that work really well. Yeah well I echo all of that and you know um, just to sort of say thank you very much for sharing those insights with us and giving us some kind of ideas about what some of the next steps might be and some of the kind of sequencing of kind of what needs to happen next. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you again to Eve and Lisa for talking with us today. And thank you for listening to the Talking Research in Children's Social Care podcast. If you have any thoughts or comments on today's topics or ideas for future episodes, please do get in touch. If you're interested in finding out more about our residential care research, both a full and summary report are available on our website. You'll also find more information about us as well as all our other research, including all the reports that we contributed to for the care review. You can find us on Twitter at WhatWorksCSC. All the details are in the show notes.